friends. Welcome to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast, all things miniature dairy goat. Not too big, not too small, just right. I'm your host, Carrie O'Neill. Join me as I guide you through the enchanting and addicting world of miniature dairy goats. Hey, Mini Dairy Goat fans, welcome back. It's been a while since we've dropped an episode. I apologize. The last episode we dropped was in early November with the mini Nubian episode. I went to the Agda convention after that, which was great. We're going to do an episode on that coming up. And then the holidays, and I got a new job. And so anyway, but we're here today, and we're here to talk about dairy goat confirmation and why is it so important. I've got a very special guest today. Uh, I've got Lorelai Halleck. She's an Agda judge. Welcome, Lorelai. Hi, Carrie. How's it going? It's going really good. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll uh, get to know you a little bit more, and then we'll dive into our topic for today. Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, I am a judge for the American Dairy Goat Association. Um, I have judged quite a few mini shows now, too, though. Um, I started in dairy goats back when I was in 4-H because it was something that, you know, wasn't horses or what my big sisters did. Um, but I, uh, really just kind of became a life passion and I have my herd that is coyote kids. Um, we have Nigerians and Sanins and I have one token mini Sanin, um, and we're here in Montana where it's nice and cold right now because <laughs> it's uh, January, beginning of February. So um, we've been breeding Adga dairy goats for, gosh, 15 years now. So it's been a, it's been a long adventure and learning experience. So do you have your kids? Are you kidding right now or when does your kidding season start? My kidding season starts in about two weeks. Um First one is due on the 17th of February, um, and then we'll have a whole bunch right there the last week of February, and then this year breeding season just kind of got drawn out a little bit, so we'll have one or two every week all the way into June. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I try to do mine uh, end of February, March, but I've got one little girl that didn't settle, and so I'm hoping... If she didn't settle, she'll be back into heat tomorrow. So I was keeping an eye on her today and uh, hoping she doesn't come back into heat. So hoping she settles. So, yeah, I was trying to up my AI game a little bit this year and uh, between work and building things, it just, I, my timing wasn't great. So (laughs) Did you, did you end up, did you try to re-AI them or did you end up settling on live cover? I tried to re-AI them um, twice, uh, but at that time I'm like, well, we're going to have June kids now, so let's get it done. (laughs) And we, we live covered um, the rest. I did get two to settle AI, which is pretty exciting, but two out of six isn't terrible. Yep. Well, I'm not into AI yet, so I'm just, it, it, it fascinates me and it's just so cool that you can pull all those cool genetics and um, it's really neat, but uh, a lot invested, I guess, because you've got to have your tank and all that. And yeah, we we do have some mini breeders that are doing AI. So again, that's another, another episode topic we could 
we can talk <laughs> about. Well, Lorelai, you came down last May to our uh, Hill Country Mini Milker show in Bernie, and we just, you know, thank you again for coming down. It was such a great learning experience, and you did an awesome confirmation clinic for us there uh, one day after the show, and I just kept thinking about it uh, with all of my breeding decisions and just even going to the Agda convention and learning about linear appraisal and just... I just kept going back to how you were drawing that goat and talking to us about <laughs> how important it is that we learn about confirmation and focus on confirmation and make those decisions when we're breeding and really building a better goat and how that all the things that we're going to look at today on the, the scorecards really go into making that goat lit have a long productive life and you kept emphasizing that and it really just resonated well with me um so thank you for being on and yeah yeah so um if you're ready uh, if you want you know preface it we'll just kind of keep this pretty conversational we're going to go through the scorecard and then we're going to give you guys some resources on how you can um, continue to learn um, more about dairy goat confirmation yeah well so part of why I got into judging and doing things with ADGA the way I did was just because um, I wanted to, I wanted to bring a resource back to my state, but it really it really changed how I looked at things as a breeder too. So it's one of those things that even if you don't want to be a judge, going through the scorecard like a judge really helps um, kind of understand the mechanics of each of these different parts. And that's really important um, when we talk about uh, the longevity and efficiency, those are the things that we're going for because a good goat and a bad goat are gonna cost you the same amount of money to feed. So all of the money that you put into it, whether it's a hobby or a business, you want your money to go efficiently to this animal because either way, <laughs> Um, a solid animal is going to cost you just as much as one that's not so solid. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when we start looking at things like general appearance, um, I think notably when it comes to the MDGA scorecard versus the ADGA scorecard, the MDGA puts a little bit more emphasis on breed character and style than ADGA. And that's perfectly fine, especially since it's a developing um, breed, when it, especially when you look at La Mancha's and Nubians, where you're trying to get that really distinctive breed character, um, the ears mostly. Um, but the one thing that I would caution a lot of the MDGA breeders is definitely go for those really nice breed characters but don't forget to look at the function that holds the animal up if they, you know, beyond their ears, because we don't milk their ears. <laughs> yes, yes. I had, there was a post I was reading earlier and it was like, oh, I'm, you know, something about the ears or the nose or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, you can't, you can't milk that. Um, but, you know, it is, it is important, but, you know, not to sacrifice for that. Right. And I think it, it's it's challenging because essentially it just means that you just have to have um, a lot more rigorous calling in your herd than, say, a standard breeder or a Nigerian breeder, because 
you're not only going for that form and function, you're also trying to add the aesthetic mm-hmm. um, because that's what sells the animals. And ultimately that's something that you have to consider is, you know, is this a profitable farm or are you at least breaking even so that you can justify continuing to do it? So it's a balance. And I think that's just the most important part is in everything that we go down the scorecard is finding that balance. Mm-hmm. So. Um, If we start talking about general appearance, um, I'll kind of just use the uh, language from the ADGA scorecard because it's a little bit more fluent for me. Um, We start looking at general appearance being an attractive framework, femininity, masculinity and bucks, strength, upstandingness, length and smoothness of blending throughout that creates an impressive style and graceful walk. So that's a lot of fancy language, when we start breaking it down to the different categories, um, we can really look at the biomechanics of the goat in general appearance. Uh, We start with the head and breed characteristics. Obviously for um, breed specifics, we're gonna look at color and style and ears and um, those aspects, but more so when we look at the function of like a dairy goat's head, We want something that is going to keep them healthy when we look at their head. We're looking for balance of width and depth in their jaw. We want large nostrils that are going to be able to suck in a lot of air and oxygen so that that animal can breathe efficiently, so that they can eat efficiently. Um, We want that balance in their jaw so because that's, that's where the consumption of product starts so that they can then turn it into milk mm-hmm. um so that's a that's a different way to look at the head and breed characteristics is we're we're looking at where this goat is consuming their nutrients to survive and that's why it's so important to have that just deep broad muzzle um that makes sense yeah so then we go to front end assembly and for me personally, I could I could spend an hour talking just about front end assembly. <laughs> um, it's one thing that, as a Nigerian breeder, um, it's definitely something that Nigerians struggle with still. Um, but that's where you really have uh, that prominence, that graceful walk, um, that uh, attractiveness as they enter the ring. When you see, I hear judges talk about. Um, oh, that doe really caught my eye. If you think about like when a person is walking, they walk with their shoulders back with really tall, good posture, that person's going to catch your eye. It's the same thing when we start looking at general appearance. Those are the goats that are gonna catch your eye. They're walking forward with that brisket with proper extension, their shoulders are set back properly. Um, When we look at how uphill they're walking, um, they're, they're just walking upright. They're carrying themselves with their head naturally high. And you can see that when a goat is on the move, um, is she like diving her head down to, you know, trudge forward, or is she just carrying herself gracefully and the handler is just kind of there for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the impressive carriage we get. And that starts with the shoulders and that front end assembly. When we talk about the shoulders and how 
that leg should be properly placed. Um, if you think of taking a plumb line right at the point of the withers, when that goat stops, that leg should be centered on a plumb line right underneath the withers, not in front of it, not behind it. And that's where we get that moderate extension of the brisket if the leg is properly set under those withers. And that really helps keep the goat um, functional. When we start talking about function over a long lifetime again, we the front legs and that shoulder set is going to be responsible for, you know, the doe standing up and lying down and so much movement that just holds the rest of her up. Um, then we talk about like the depth of the chest wall um, and how the shoulder sits against the chest wall. The one thing, um, again, especially with Nigerians where you see um, them tend to elbow out or their shoulders are forward, it really has more to do with what's connecting um, that shoulder to the chest wall. If they don't have the depth to that chest wall and their point of elbow is lower than the chest wall, there's just nothing for that point of elbow to connect to. And so it tends to suck into their body and then their point of shoulder when they're facing you tends to be pushed out and they kind of get that I don't know, bulldog look to them. Mm -hmm. If you can think of like a French bulldog that is very open and wide in the chest. Yeah, that was one of the things during the linear appraisal course I took at the Agda convention. Um, we focused a lot on that front end assembly and really um, mm -hmm. looking at those elbows and looking at that. That was a lot of importance was how to really look at that and assess yeah. it. Yeah, so... Um, the whole biomechanics of like general appearance, especially there's so many different things that are a cause and effect. Um, so I mean, it's, it's easy to look at a goat and be like, oh, she blows out at the point of the elbow or her just, her shoulders have a bad set to them. Well, that might be true, but what's the actual cause of that? It's not necessarily the shoulder bone itself. It's we just have a goat that's lacking the depth or the width. And so there's nothing for that shoulder to connect to on her body. And that's something that anybody can, if you spend enough time just out in your pasture watching the goats as they walk and they graze and they reach up to get at trees. Um, and just as they're moving around, you can really start to see how that shoulder moves in conjunction with the chest wall and how important that is for just their total movement. Um, so yeah, like I said, I could talk forever about <laughs> <laughs> front end assembly, but um, for uh, keeping in time, um, if we move on to back and rump, um, and I will make a side note for everybody who isn't necessarily following ADGA as closely. Um, ADGA recently changed their scorecard. We took stature off of the scorecard um, because we didn't want this thing of people seeing a taller goat and picking tall because stature doesn't necessarily have anything to do with height or how tall the goat is, but it was quite frequently being misinterpreted as that. Um, 
But the one thing that ADCA really wanted to emphasize is how important back and rump are. Um, and within those that category, they actually split back and rump on the ADCA scorecard, just to emphasize that those are equally important things. Um, when we look at a dairy goat's back, we're wanting strong, well-defined vertebrae. But again, we look at the balance of it. And if you can picture your goat from the withers to about where the chine is, that's kind of where your last, your second or third to last rib starts on or ends on your goat. And then you have your loin, which is kind of that rib cage area to the point of the hip. And then your rump is obviously your hips to pins. You want those three sections of the back to be relatively balanced in length. Um, again, when we talk about goats that like roach up or weaken the chine, it's a cause and effect. If you have an unbalanced goat that say has an exceptionally long loin, but they have a really short chine, the loin is going to be overworking to make up for what the chine isn't holding. And so you get that loin that's starting to roach because it's contracting to hold the rest of the goat together. Mm -hmm. um, if you think of like Lincoln logs where you have a set amount of Lincoln logs to build a little house, if you have one brick that's just for whatever reason too long, it kind of skews the rest of the house. It's the same thing with a goat. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's where, that's one of the easy ways for people to look at, is this goat balanced? Kind of, you can put your hands on your animals out in your pasture and say, is the loin the same length as the chine? Do we have a rump that's the same length as those two parts of the back? And then when we look at the rump, the rump, um, I was recently listening to an advanced judge talk about rump and define it as the rump is your garage of the goat um, because your rump is kind of what defines what that mammary system is going to look like because when you take like a cross section of a goat, your whole medial suspensory ligament is attached to that rump. So you want the length and the width and the rump. But if you think of a rump like a garage, if you have a garage that's built for like a Hyundai, a little car, and you try to put a Mack truck in it, that car or that Mack truck and that garage are both going to be damaged. So if you have a garage that's built for a Hyundai, you're going to have this little, little memory system but we want those Mack truck udders. So <laughs> we want the space and the framework for that udder to fit without the udder pushing and damaging the legs or vice versa. We don't want to have this Mack truck size udder that's gonna get damaged because you're trying to squeeze it into a frame that it just doesn't fit into. I love that. That makes, yeah, <laughs> good visualization. Like, love it. Yeah, so, and um, that was uh, Trinity Smith Malmus um, that kind of painted that picture. And that's, that's something that stuck with me for quite a while um, because it is, it's a really good picture of like, we want that big, beautiful udder, but we need the width and 
the length of rump to park that kind of truck mm-hmm. under there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then in my opinion, you can never have too flat of a rump when it comes, when we're talking thorough to thorough. Um, but dairy goats, um, dairy goats do need to have some slope in the rump from hips to pins. Um, I work on a cow dairy, a grade A cow dairy here. So I look at Holsteins a lot. Um, and sometimes you see with Holsteins, their pins start to get a little bit higher than their hips. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a good thing because when it comes to breeding and calving or kidding in the dairy goat case, you don't have, you don't have the drainage uh, if there's not that slight natural downward slope. Um, so you're more apt to have infection when it comes to them not being able to clean themselves out entirely. Um, also, when you have such an um, extreme tilt to where your pins are almost higher than your hips, um, your vulva and your cervix are tilted at an, an odd angle that it actually inhibits the breeding process. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously not what we want for a dairy goat that can reproduce. So on the other extreme, we don't want that rump to be tilted so far down uh, because then you have, again, you have problems with the structure of that hip that allow, it doesn't allow space for that mammary system if it's tilted, you know, um, more down where we have an extreme slope. So again, finding, finding that nice balance. Why, why is it, it to me, uh, you know, being relatively new to goats as well, it seems like people focus a lot on rumps. Why do you think that is? Well, when it comes to rumps, like that's where, again, that's, that's what's going to define your mammary system. So that is essentially going to define your production potential with that animal. Um, it's also the most important thing when it comes to safety for delivering offspring. Mm-hmm. Um, really, when we're talking about breeding dairy animals, pregnancy and delivering is probably the most dangerous thing that these animals could ever do. Um, so we want that to be as easy as possible. The more width that you see in that rump, the more physical room you're going to have in that birthing canal. Um, or if you have to assist those does with the wide rumps, man, there's all kinds of room. Um, it, you can get in there and untangle kids. And, you know, what could have been a bad situation is relatively easy to correct if they have that space. Um, but then longevity wise, again, if you have too small of a rump, and you have that large mammary system, it's just, there's not the support there because all of your attachments and support come from the structure of the rump mm-hmm. to the mammary system. Yeah, I think so, hearing you talk again, is just bringing back memories from, from, when you, <laughs> from when you did the confirmation. So I'm having these aha moments as you're talking because yeah. I think to me, like when you first get into it and I'm still very new, but it's like, oh, aesthetically, oh, that goat looks nice. It has a nice, you know, the back is nice and level. The rump is, you know, pretty level. It looks nice. But 
the you know the rest of the story is all what you just mentioned about the stru- it's all you know it's not just yeah. to have a pretty goat it's the function the structure the holding up over time fitting that memory right. system in there so okay sorry yeah. i just had to interject my aha yeah. moment so oh no no that's perfectly fine and i hope i really hope that a lot of people get that aha moment i mean i i remember when i had that aha moment of oh i understand why um on the flip side of that, I also, <laughs> I'm, I'm not like a lot of Nigerian breeders in where I sell pets. Um, I eat my goats a lot. <laughs> um, and so when it comes to like actually looking at the skeletal structure, I have a more intimate knowledge than a lot of people because I do see that interior muscling. And if people can, learn to look at their animals on the move and kind of really start to again understand the biomechanics of how this form affects the function Um, it really just it gives you a new perspective and it really makes you focus on that structure and why it's so important Mm -hmm. yep but then if we look at like legs, pasterns, and feet, um, that's kind of the next thing on the scorecard for all of the scorecards. I think the one thing that all of the different um, registries can unanimously agree on is how important legs and feet are for <laughs> dairy goats. Like, or really any animal, like you build the goat from the ground up. Um, I think commercial herds, they take into consideration feet differently than show herds. Um, that low maintenance of hoof care is exceptionally important because if you have a herd of 300 plus commercial dairy animals, you don't wanna be out there every four weeks, four to six weeks trimming hooves. Like that's just not, that's not logistical. It's not economic, so much time and energy. So that's why breeding for really strong feet is so important we want the depth of heel um, we want them to be sound um, I think a lot of people will get hung up on if like a goat toes out um, or not not the actual rotation of the whole hoof but like if a doe has splayed toes or if she's really tight in the toes um, again that's going to be more of a cause and effect generally we have two different styles of does um, when it comes to their legs and feet. You have really long pasterned does and you have does that are a shorter pastern. And generally when you see that really splayed toe look, it's going to be on those longer pasterned animals. Um, But then cause and effect, those longer pastern animals generally have a slightly more frail substance to their bone compared to the heavier, stronger bone pattern. Um, If the pastern is really long to where the dew claw is behind the hoof, like significantly behind the hoof when the doe is just at rest. Those pasterns are concerning to me because especially over time, the tendons in that pastern are just gonna have more stress put on them and they're gonna be weaker faster. 
Whereas if you have a doe that the dew claws are more directly above the back of the heel, um, it's a shorter pastern. Sometimes when you see like seven, eight, 10, 12 year old does that are weak in the pasterns, they'll, they'll be weak, but that shorter pastern style, it's just, it's more of like a, a used spring type of week versus that tendon is completely broken down like we would see if it was a longer pastern, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the pasterns, um, I don't focus on quite as much because when we look at the construction of the foot and the strength of that bone within the leg, that's going to tell me the information I need to see before I look at the pasterns necessarily. Um, and then what consideration I do give for the pasterns, obviously, if I have a frail bone pattern that's, you know, long but frail, we're going to see that longer, weaker pastern. So in the, on the Agdis scorecard, it talks about a pastern of medium length. So right. it's kind of what you're saying there, you know, too long is not, I mean, it's just kind of that just right. Mm -hmm. Right. And then like too short would be if, if you draw like little sticks, like if you think of like a stick figure drawing that a, a kid would do where there's like no definition between the where the pastern or the leg is and it's just mm-hmm. straight up and down that would be that would be the opposite extreme where there's just there's no there's no flexation in that joint it's just a stick gotcha um when we talk about like the rear legs specifically um i don't think it's possible for goats to have too much angulation when they're kids um, because as you look at the age progression of goats um, just the way their joints age and stiffen you almost always get goats that their legs will straighten out a little bit more as they age so kids that are over angulated and from this angulation I'm talking about from the side angle we look at the pin bone to the stifle joint back to the hock, that kind of incurving U shape that we like to see that it's where you're supposed to see the mammary system behind. That kind of angulation, um, we want more angulation versus a doe that's really straight on those hocks. Um, because like I said, as a kid grows older, those legs only tend to straighten out more so if you have a very over-angulated doe kid that's kind of, she looks a little leggy, I would call it, as like a six-month or yearling, when that doe gets up to be eight, nine, ten years old, just that natural aging, you'll see slightly less angulation in her rear leg set, and that's okay because she'll still have a really nice angulation. Whereas if you start out with a kid that already is very straight in that rear leg set, um, you'll start to see more downward tilt, like extreme downward tilt to the rump because 
that rump will start sucking in to make up for the fact that there's just no bend to that rear leg set. And that, correct me if I'm wrong, but when that rear leg is not well angulated and is kind of straight, they, people will sometimes call that posty. Yep. Posty okay. would be, um, kind of the extreme, like there's just, there's no, there's no incurving of that thigh with the natural bone pattern on the reverse side of that, where you have the over angulation, you kind of, that's what we call sickle hocked. Okay. Um, and Honestly, I don't see that very often. Um, but like I said, if I was picking between two kids, I would almost always go, I mean, obviously it's going to depend on the varying degree of, you know, of, uh, it, of the extreme, but I would more, I'd be more comfortable picking the kid that is over angulated because like I said, those joints tend to straighten out naturally as the animal ages versus they're just, they're never going to get more angular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then again, looking at the whole picture of general appearance, um, if you have like front legs that are pointed out, um, you have to look at, is that a leg issue or is that a shoulder issue? And that's where the cause and effect kind of comes into play. If the whole leg is pointed out and you kind of have um, the shoulders, the point of the shoulder almost pointing out as well, it's a shoulder issue. We don't have the depth of body. We don't have the width to the chest floor. We're looking more at a front end issue versus if we look at where that pointing out starts, does it start to twist at the knee? Do we have kind of a, a curved or twisted cannon bone that's causing those toes to point out versus, you know, a shoulder issue? So that's something that's also important to look at is where do you see, where do you see these faults and where is it starting? Because, you know, that's when from a breeding standpoint, if it's a cannon bone issue, I'm just going to find a buck that has really strong substance of bone that we can correct that individual bone issue versus is it a whole front end assembly issue? In which case, if I bring in a buck that is also narrow in that chest and not deep in the chest floor, it's not going to correct the issue. It couldn't get worse. Yeah, that's the one thing um, I was just thinking about just before you mentioned that is it's, you know, as we continue to learn and for the many dairy goat owners, I know a lot of us um, are real new to goats and learning a lot of the terminology and just this form and function. Um, it'll, it takes a while to really kind of get comfortable with it. But once you can see the strengths and weaknesses in your does, um, being able to identify those so you are bringing in bucks that can help correct that in your herd. I think that's um, kind of the, the next step yeah. and very important to, you know, you, you, can't, you, you can't correct anything until you know what you need to correct. Uh, so. Right. Yeah. Well, and then um, we move on in our scorecard. Um, general appearance kind of in a summary, we're looking at kind of structure and biomechanics of how things move. Um, when we move on to dairy strength, um, I think MDGA still calls it dairy character. Um, I do like thinking of it as dairy strength because um, we're looking, that's when we're looking more at the whole picture. 
Um, I do kind of appreciate how the MDGA breaks it down a little bit more on the scorecard. Um, the difficulty there is it's hard to not get hung up on one part because dairy strength is really, it's kind of an elusive thing for people to see at first, but once you can get it, um, it's really hard to have one without having another aspect of dairy strength. So the openness and flatness of bone, that's where we're thinking um, you, want, you want a wide, strong bone pattern. And the reason being is the more substance that you have, the, the, greater, the greater space, like actual um, space that you have for the different muscles and tendons, um, to connect to that bone to hold the whole skeleton together. So you want the you want the wider, more oh, <laughs> drawing a blank on the word on this. Um, you're just looking for that greater physical um, open space for the connective tissue. That's why we look for the flat, open, large bone. Um, the easiest thing that I can think of to describe that to people is if you think of if you think of when you go to a barbecue place and you order like a rack of ribs, um, a lot of times, especially if it's like a pork rib, you're gonna see this wide flat bone. That's what we would call a wide flinty bone. It has um, flint being, you know, layered and flat. Um, that has a lot of flex to it versus if it was just the shape of a pencil, if you try to flex a pencil, the pencil's just going to break. Whereas you have something wide and flat, if you try to flex it, it has some give to it and it has more strength structurally. Mm -hmm. um, then angularity and wedge shape throughout. Um, on our ADGA scorecard, we actually moved the long bone pattern throughout from our stature language down to dairy strength. Um, so that angularity and long bone pattern, um, it, it goes hand in hand. So obviously a longer bone pattern is going to allow for more space and body capacity, um, but having that substance of bone, so we're looking for that thicker, um, well, moderately thick, and that's where you balance dairy character and dairy strength is you don't want something that's so heavy that it's coarse because we're not breeding boar goats, we're breeding dairy goats, but they still need to have enough substance to maintain that weight that they'll carry into pregnancy and you know the amount of feed that they have to consume for their rumen to produce that large amount of milk. Um, freedom of excess fleshing, that's where, that's where we really kind of separate um, the efficient animals from the animals that would cross well with meat goats, <laughs> to put it politely. Um, we don't want our dairy goats to be using their feed inefficient. We want them to be putting it as much of it as possible into milk. Um, I think Nigerian and Nubian breeders are the two most 
<laughs> guilty parties when it comes to having fat animals. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm guilty. <laughs> well, yeah, same. <laughs> We're both um, laughing. <laughs> um, Nigerians and Nubians, just the way their metabolisms work. And it's interesting because generally they also have the highest butter fat content in their milk. Um, but again, it's that balance of we want this higher butter fat milk, but at one point, and this is where from a commercial standpoint, you can look at the dollar value of how much feed is going into this animal versus the percentage of milk that they're putting out for their body weight. And if they are overweight, that percentage of milk is going to go down. And we, we don't want that. <laughs> Um, so a lot of that dairy strength, that's where you can look at their neck. You can look at the spot right in front of their fore udder. You want a clean, lean neck. You want cleanliness over the shoulders. You want the bottom of their barrel right in front of the mammary system to be clean and free of that kind of fatty tissue. I think more or less on Nubians, I see that more where you get that kind of pocket buildup that makes it look like it's a lovely smooth for utter but in reality it's it's just that <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's not desirable because they're not processing that fat in their feed efficiently they're storing it in their body so that's where dairy strength is um it's a little bit more elusive for some people but understand that it's really hard to have one of those aspects that's listed on the scorecard without having the other. Mm -hmm. um, if you have that leanness, um, you're probably going to have that longer bone pattern. So um, then dairy strength, um, obviously, if they have dairy strength, body capacity is a relatively easy one to follow if they have that dairy strength. And body capacity, we're really focusing on just the, the size of that chest and the depth of body. Um, and the reason that we want that depth of barrel, um, we want the strength and the tendons that hold up that barrel. That's where we have the spring of rib. Um, if you have ribs that from the vertebrae just kind of go straight down, they're generally going to be more pencil -y. They're not going to be very flat and flinty. There's not a lot of room for those ribs to expand and contract for, you know, when the doe is pregnant and she needs more space in that rear barrel versus when she's just milking and she needs, you know, space to flex that rumen that's growing and shrinking based on how much she's eating. So body capacity, um, we're just looking for that width and the depth throughout. Um, the larger space that they have for all of those organs to function, um, the more efficiently those organs are gonna function. Um, if you, you know, compress your lungs and heart, obviously that dough is not gonna be able to breathe as efficiently. If you compress the rumen, that's not gonna leave as much space for that dough to consume as much feed. So, you know, Conversely, she's not going to produce as much milk. 
So that's why body capacity is important. Um, body capacity is really easy to see, but it's not, there's, there's so many things in general appearance and dairy strength that affect body capacity. That's why we don't allow it as many points as other things, because while it's easy to see, it's again, it's the cause and effect of other structural traits. Mm -hmm. um, so before we talk into mammary, I mean, I guess, do you have any questions on like, have I explained everything relatively clear? Yeah, I think so. the, I mean, it's, it's hard to, um, when you did your confirmation clinic with us, you just, so everyone who missed it, you missed it. It was awesome. Um, uh, Lorelai drew a picture and then she started talking about, it was a picture of a goat. And then she started changing these things. And as we progressed, like it eventually got to where this, um, not so great looking goat that we started with turned into like, oh, wow, that's a good looking goat there. Um, but it just really ties together the whole importance of its, you know, form and function. And it's not just the aesthetics. It's really all of these components of all the scorecards for all the registries. Um, they're mm -hmm. pretty much the same, but it's, it's, it's for a purpose. And so that's really the, you know, what I see with, with many dairy goat breeders is, we get into it. Um, you're like, oh, I want some milk. This is going to be great. And then you're like, okay, you know, kind of, you know, I, I want to up my game or kind of now what, like, how do I, um, how do I build a better goat? And so that's why it's so important to uh, yeah. again, learn the terms. And I'm going to put um, in the show notes on this episode, I'll put some links to some different um, images with outlines of learning the different terminology. Cause I know for me at first that was, you know, like what's a thorough, what's a pin, you know, what's a loin, what's a chine, you know? Um, but it's got all that. And so kind of studying that as well is good. Um, but of course we're yeah. in it for the mammary system, which is the last portion that right. we talk about. Yeah. Well, just touching real quick on what you just said of like learning those par body parts. Um, when we <laughs> when we torture 4-Hers in long showmanship classes all over the country, I don't want to say torture. Most kids <laughs> enjoy it. I enjoyed it when I was a kid. Um, we're not just quizzing them on body parts just because it's something to quiz them on. Like we want them to know those body parts because that's what helps them learn. So I almost always tell adults um, a lot of times kids in 4-H can understand breeding better than adults that are starting because those kids, if they're in some sort of youth program that's forcing them for whatever reason to learn these body parts, that's giving them an advantage. So for adults, my advice is, hey, help out those 4-H groups and FFA groups or just youth groups. Um, because if you learn that same thing, that's going to give you that advantage. Mm -hmm. it, it's amazing just learning those body parts, what it can do to help you understand what it is the judges are talking about and linear appraisers, et cetera. Well, the other thing in the mini dairy goat world, we're, you know, most of us aren't as into showing. Um, and mm -hmm. there's definitely, if you've got your home herd and you you don't want to show. I mean, we've got some virtual options with MDGA 
Um, TMGR has got a great confirmation clinic where you can learn more. But I guess the other point and, you know, me doing this podcast to just increase education in general is, hey, you don't have to have a show heard to be worried about the different score, the scorecard. All of this is important, you know, not just for judging and showing and winning, winning some ribbons and things like that. It's for the longevity and the production and the health mm-hmm. of your herd. So just want to absolutely. You know, hopefully, people will um, <laughs> not, you know, just dismiss it like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't show. So this isn't important. No, this is important right. for everyone who's breeding goats and raising goats. So yeah. So then, if we really get down to the meat and potatoes of why we raise dairy goats, the mammary system is a big deal um, because obviously, you know. Uh, we breed animals because for whatever reason, we want them to make milk, whether we're making cheese or just selling milk or soap making. There's so many different products that you can get from dairy goats, but to get that product, these animals have to be able to milk. So everything on the scorecard, no matter what scorecard you're looking at, leads up to the structure to support the mammary system. Um, And then when we talk about the mammary system, balance is really the the biggest takeaway. You want something that is proportionate to the size of the animal that you have. Um, So like Nigerians, it's really easy to get excited about a Nigerian that can milk eight pounds. Well, if we zoom out of the picture of the udder and we look at the whole goat, is that eight pound mammary system really supported well for the frame size that we're looking at on that animal. And can she support that until she's 10, 12, 13 years old? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So we want a balance of the mammary system with the animal. Um, And dairy cows and even dairy goats, people are starting to realize that You don't need to have a bigger animal to have an efficient animal. Um, And that's, you know, that's kind of the the shining example of where MDGA could really excel is you have that smaller animal that can produce a little bit more than a Nigerian, um, just a purebred Nigerian versus having something that, you know, is a small pony. speaking from experience, because my (laughs) son is a small pony. (laughs) Um, But when we look at the mammary system, um, we're looking for capacity that matches the framework of the goat. We're also looking for udder support. So when we talk about udder support, we're looking at the ligaments. um, And again, that goes back to that rump structure. All of those ligaments are gonna be attached inside the body to that rump structure. Um, So if you have a wide rump, you have space and secure attachments for that mammary system. The medial suspensory ligament um, is what defines the halves of the mammary system. It separates um, the tissue um, so that you don't have cross-contamination between those halves of the mammary system. Um, It's important to have a strong medial suspensory ligament. Um, For example, like if a doe got a cut on one side of her mammary 
and got an infection, it's not going to spread to her whole mammary system because of that medial. But that medial also kind of helps hold that whole thing up above the body, or not above the body, above the hocks um, and secure. Um, if you think of goats that have a really weak attachment and weak mammary system, we call that a pendulous udder. The biggest problem with not having those attachments is as that doe is walking, um, that udder is gonna swing and hit the legs more and that's gonna cause bruising to the tissue. Um, you know, to put it kind of crassly, it's like going for a run without a sports bra. It's really not comfortable. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there's the obvious health reasons of why we want that udder to be supported and secure. We don't want the bruising. Um, if it's held higher above the hocks, especially when we talk about the little goats that are really short, like Nigerians, um, if that mammary system is below the hocks, there's not very much room between them and the ground to begin with then we have you know, a sanitary issue. Are those teats gonna be constantly um, subjected to moisture and bacteria that, that could then get into the mammary system and cause infection and unhealthy milk? So again, that total udder support. Um, and then we break off fore udder and rear udder. Um, fore udder has more to do with support and extending forward so it's smooth into the body, free of excess non-lactating tissue. Again, that blends into dairy strength. When we look at the rear udder, we're looking for that wide, uniform in shape. So we want it to be just as wide at the top of the mammary system as it is at the bottom of the mammary system. And again, that has to do with the space that we have if we have a wide hip set, we have that wide mammary system, and that leaves more space on the inside of the goat for that lactating tissue. Um, and then balance and symmetry. Again, you want the halves of the udder to be relatively even. You want that texture of the mammary system to be soft and supple. When we milk them down, we want the tissue to fully relax and release all of the milk from the capillaries. Um, because again, when you release that milk, it cleans out those capillaries and it's healthy so that they can be replenished with more milk. You have a more efficient animal if that texture is soft and supple versus a harder texture that just doesn't quite milk down. It means those capillaries are not functioning efficiently. Mm -hmm. And then teat size. Um, teats... <laughs> Teats are one thing that they're worth four points. Um, and a lot of times some people want to make them worth 20 points. <laughs> <laughs> it's really important to have definition from the utter floor into the teat um, and have a moderate size teat. Obviously a teat that's too small is gonna be difficult to milk, especially if you're hand milking. A teat orifice that's just really tight is gonna take longer to milk out. On the reverse side of that, if you have a teat that's too large and you're using a machine, um, your inflations won't fit on it correctly. Um, if that teat orifice is constantly open, you're going to have leaking. You're going to have more opportunity for bacteria to go into the mammary system. 
So again, we want that moderation, that balance. We want a teat that expresses easily, but doesn't leak. We want a teat that's easy for our inflation and or our hands, depending on what kind of milking um, we're doing. And then the placement of the teats ideally is gonna be straight down center on either side of the halves of the udder. We don't want teats that are pointing out or touching the legs because again, as that animal is moving, you have more opportunity for bacteria. You have more opportunity for just the tissue to be damaged if it's constantly being rubbed or hit. So when we look at the structure, again, we're looking at the efficiency and health of how that animal is going to function on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's why we want those pretty mammary systems, not just because they're aesthetically pleasing, but there's a real true health function as to why we want the mammary clean the way we do. Yeah, I think um, there's I don't know where I came across it, but they were, they were obviously not dairy goats that they were bred for, but it was these pictures of these, I don't know, it was some, it was in another country, but it was some sort of meat goat or something. And it was, I mean, their udders were literally dragging on the ground and yeah. um, you're just like, okay, obviously not a dairy animal, but <laughs> it makes you really re realize the importance of those good medial attachments and just that right. high utter height and just um it's like oh my gosh how how do they even how, well, how did how did the kids even nurse like the teats right. on the ground <laughs> right i would argue that it's just as important on a meat animal almost yeah. more so because yeah. like if they don't have an efficient mammary system how are they going to feed their young and especially if they're a meat animal if they can't feed those kids then those kids aren't going to grow and be you know effective meat producing animals yeah so a, you see picture you're just like how how is that animal even you know that that should not be that should not be happening um on teats i had another question so a lot of times um you'll have on the meat goats i think they it's not a disqualification if they have multiple mm -hmm. like too too many or fish tailed or double um can right you explain the defects on teats for dairy goats so for dairy goats um it's listed as a defect if it is um, a teat. Here, let me actually <laughs> turn to my page so I can quote directly the correct defect. Um, so if it's a disqualification for ADGA, um, they have to have a double teat orifice. Mm -hmm, okay. An extra teat that um, interferes with milking. So technically it's not a disqualification to have a doe with an extra teat, as long as that teat is a non-milking teat. It's not desirable simply because, um, especially if you like dam raise your goats, it's difficult for goats to nurse effectively if there's a blind teat there mm -hmm. that they're sucking on and they're not getting any milk. That's the most obvious reason as to why we don't like that. When we talk about having like, um, like fishtail teats, and if you can imagine what that looks like, it's if you if you took like a vacuum seal like crimping tool, um, and you took a teat and you just crimped it down the middle, 
you essentially have tissue inside that teat orifice that's splitting it in half. And that can curl or cause pockets of milk to not be expelled. And again, it has more to do with the sanitary um, issues that could arise from that of if you have pockets of milk that aren't constantly being flushed from the mammary system, you leave room for bacteria to grow in that pocket and then cause mastitis issues. So double T orifices occasionally, again, you'll either have a cross section or you'll, you'll have additional tissue that just could cause problems. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many different ways that that could pop up that it's just, we try to avoid it. So we, we try to cull those animals. Um, misplaced orifices, um, I mean, obviously the, uh, it gets into like milking ability. If you're milking with um, a machine, it might not be a huge thing. If you have milk squirting horizontally instead of straight down, um, but that milk squirting out the wrong direction is gonna potentially cause more milk buildup in the inflation around the teat. And if the teat's not cleaned properly, then again, you're leaving an opportunity for bacteria. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously if you're milking by hand and you have a misplaced orifice, it, it might be really difficult to actually get the milk in the bucket. Yeah, def definitely teats are, I think, like you said, you know, they're only what four points, but you know, you kind of, if you're hand milking, you know, or e even machine milking, I mean, that orifice and the teat size, that's very important because that ultimately is how we get the product of our dairy goats, uh, you know, into the bucket or into the tank, yeah, whatever you're, yeah. whatever you're doing that. Well, that, yeah. um, I guess kind of just, um, I don't know how long we've been talking, but, um, <laughs> we've we've got through the scorecards. Um, so again, um, Lorelite was we were kind of looking at the Agda scorecard, but referencing back to the MDGA scorecard as well as the TMGR scorecard. So uh, differences there in some of them, but you know the the basics are are the same. So I guess mm -hmm. just maybe some some final comments, and then we'll um, maybe in your final comments, if you could address you know what your tips would be how to learn more and get more comfortable with dairy goat confirmation? Yeah. So um, the judges training materials that ADGA has, um, those are accessible to anybody online. Um, and even with ADGA and the whole NG system, it's not working the way we hope it would. Um, on the ADGA website, without even logging in, they still have the PDF files that you can download. Um, and they've put together with pictures, some really good PowerPoints um, that just go through and they break down the scorecard with those visual aids to really help people see the parts that we're looking at. Um, and even if you don't want to be a judge, those judging materials really help to break down the animal so that you can look at things objectively. And that's the biggest hurdle is learning that objectiveness. Um, as animal producers, you know, it's, it's really easy to have favorites and, you know, be emotional about certain animals um, because they're just, they are, they're special. Mm -hmm. They're more than, they're more than pets. They, they're something that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis and we really do develop emotions for them. But when it comes to 
being responsible breeders of these animals. We want to do what's best for them. And looking at the structure objectively is really the best thing that we can do for the health of those future generations that we are breeding. Yeah. So that's kind of the biggest thing is just it doesn't really matter where you learn it. ADCA has some great resources, um, but just trying to trying to look at those point values objectively is really a great way to start helping build your herd stronger. Yeah, I think also the uh, linear appraisal. I mentioned again, I attended the the training um, in at the AGDA convention in November with have never, I had never gone to anyone's herd, like a host herd. Um, so again, this is an AGDA program, not an MDGA or TMGR program, but AGDA does have a, um, a program called linear appraisal where herds are basically scored and all of these, um, it's pretty similar to the scorecard, a little bit of differences there, but that would be another great resource if you're just wanting to learn more about confirmation in goats. If you have a friend or a, a, a herd nearby, um, reach out to them, yeah. see if you can come and observe when their linear appraisal is gonna happen. I know here in Texas, we got skipped uh, last year. And so they are gonna be, uh, the herds in Texas are gonna get appraised this year. So that's a great yeah. way to learn. I will, I will, in the show notes, I will link the uh, PDF files and the links um, that you are mentioning there for our listeners. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, th any other comments or? I mean, <laughs> I'm hopeful myself to do linear appraisal. Being in Montana, um, we're not a high priority area because we're not a high population density area. So um, we have, I haven't been able to appraise for three years, four years, because it's just, it's a, it's a hard thing to get out here, but absolutely also um, look at those appraisal numbers. I think the, the last thing that I would kind of tell people is try not to get hung up on one specific trait. Um, a lot of people try to like fixate on, they have their pet peeve and I, I get it. I have my pet peeves in my own herd that sometimes I think, gosh, I'm probably just too hard on these goats. They're really not <laughs> that bad. Um, so try really hard not to get hung up on individual traits and really just picking apart individual traits, it is important to step back and look at the whole picture. Um, you might have some trade-offs, but ultimately it's better to have moderate of a lot of things versus really good and really bad at other things. Mm -hmm. So kind of try to keep that in mind. And that's where, you know, I do encourage people to go to shows um, or do linear appraisal, or at the very least have, you know, have a friend that you're comfortable with come to your house and look at your goats so that you can get that second opinion um, to try and help stave off some of the, the barn blindness, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then again, we, we mentioned it earlier, but really learning about your own goats, seeing what their strengths and weaknesses are. And like you mentioned, not looking at just one thing, but then really trying to um, bring in or select in your breeding program those pairings that are going to um, offset yeah. and produce those offspring that are going to further that 
um, better traits and again, building that better goat, because that's right. Again, you know, you're kind of, you know, yes, you, 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 you do have your token mini Sonnen, um, <laughs> but you know, just well, coming from the Agda side, you know, many breeders, um, and I'm sure many of my listeners could um, relate to this, you know, we're just not taken seriously. It's more like, mm-hmm. oh, we're just, um, trying to breed for, you know, pretty goats and we're not focused on right. the memory systems. Um, but this is a way, and again, I just think it's also been a lack of education, but we can get out mm-hmm. there and, um, hopefully this podcast will, um, yeah. provide well, some and, more. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say breeding, um, many goats that have the flashy color and blue eyes. Um, you know, I I love all of those things. Um, That's why I started breeding Nigerians is because, I mean, they're colorful. Obviously, it's a draw and it's a huge marketing point that, yes, these goats do have to make money. So um, it's not not something that is a bad thing. But when the focus becomes the aesthetics, that's when you're doing a disservice to the animals. Um, I like to think of... I have blue eyes in my herd. I have flashy color. We even have moon spots for goodness sake. Um, I call it mold, but (laughs) (laughs) um, all of those things, they're just, they're icing on the cake. And it's a really wonderful feeling to have those pretty flashy animals. But at the foundation, we really have to focus on the health and longevity. And are we doing are we doing right by these animals by breeding how we're breeding them? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, you know, we, you, you can have the best of both worlds, you know, if you're selecting the right goats. So, I mean, if you, if you want those pretty characteristics in your herd, you know, pick goats that have those characteristics, but also have the other qualities that we've talked about today. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you again so much for coming on and, um, I just hope that your kidding season goes well and um, we're going to be, I'll I'll link all the, all the stuff we talked about. I'll type all that up and we'll get it into the, into the um, notes, but um, yeah. So tell, tell the listeners again, where we can find out information on your herd. So my herd name is coyote kids. Um, You can find us on our website at coyotekidsdairy.com. And that's K I D Z. Um, I thought when I was an eighth grader, I was being super creative by (laughs) (laughs) spelling it Um, K-I-D-Z. We're also on Facebook. Um, I've been kind of slow getting my Facebook updated lately. Um, I don't post on Facebook during the winter as much because there's not a whole lot going on. But really soon here, we're going to see an explosion of babies and the quiet before the storm. But yeah, follow us on Facebook or check out our website. And And if Judge Halleck is a judge at a show near you, definitely uh, hit her up and say hi and that you heard her on the mini dairy goat podcast. So, well, yep. Thanks again. Um, We will uh, catch all you listeners on our next episode. Appreciate you listening. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for our new episodes. Share the podcast, tell all your goat friends about us, rate and review the podcast, and also you can hit us up on our Facebook page, 
Mini Dairy Goat Podcast for more information and show notes. Thank you so much and happy goating.